Good morning, everyone. This is so much better. Well, there was one, there was one evening where a lady was hosting a friend at her place. And as a, as a guest sat on her big, comfortable chair and sipping on a warm cup of tea, her, her guest asked the host, so do you receive any birthday, any nice birthday gifts this year? It's a kind of question that, that is innocent, safe, and unlikely to break someone into tears, isn't it? But to her surprise, to her, the guest surprise, the lady, the host, broke into tears. And at the moment it happened, the, the surprise guest wondered for a while, I don't think it was my fault, right? Well, after the, the host calmed down, she told her the problem. My boyfriend, Jeff, got me an iPad this year. That sounded like a wonderful present, isn't it? And, and if you'd like to receive an iPad, not from me, but from your spouse, give him or her a nudge right now. Well, her boyfriend, Jeff, is a lovely and generous person who will not hesitate to splurge to, to bless someone. But what Jeff got wrong was this. His girlfriend... It's a techno-fearing, smartphone-sneering, old-school, pen-and-paper person. And so she will read and respond to your WhatsApp messages, but that's all she will do with it. The problem with Jeff's iPad present is, the, is that he had utterly misjudged her. He had spectacularly given a thoughtless gift to a precious person. She felt like the person she loved didn't understand. He didn't understand her. How can Jeff say he loves me when he thinks that this is what I would like for my birthday? He was so out of touch with her preferences. Likewise, it is very easy for us to slide into giving thoughtlessly or meaninglessly when, when something is given out of convenience. Thoughtless giving can happen at the checkout page when we are asked if we want to add $5 uh, to donate to a specific charity. We, we buy and donate when our supervisor's child comes with donation cards or, or tickets for school fundraiser. We, we tend to give out emotion or habit when the offering back is passed to you as well. Thoughtful giving. Thoughtful giving, on the other hand, involves identifying with the causes that we are most passionate about or when we have a personal, personal connection with the cause or the organization. And so my friends, we can slide between both forms of thoughtless and thoughtful giving, even, even in church here. So how do we give thoughtfully? How can we give thoughtfully? And since this is Pledge Weekend, I would like us to learn from Paul and the Philippian church about how to give thoughtfully and what we can do practically. And so can I invite you, open your Bibles with me or switch on your Bible app with me to Philippians chapter 4. Verse 10 to 16. I will be reading from the new Revised Standard Version, updated edition. And I want us to read uh, responsively. And so I will read the even-numbered verses. Can I invite you to read the odd-numbered verses in red aloud? Okay? Yeah? Oh, I only hear Pastor Clement. Looks like it's going to be a duet, Pastor Clement. Right. Let's try again. Okay? Yes. All right. I hope you will read with... Uh, some form of this level of energy throughout. Okay. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. 
Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to hear it. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please keep your Bibles open. We will return to the rest later. In verse 15, the phrase, no church shared with me, caught my attention. And this was one of the few reasons for the purposes of Paul's letter. Paul had written to update them that Epaphroditus had recovered from a life-threatening illness. He wanted to encourage them in their faith and to thank them for their support. And so this church was intentional and thoughtful in their giving. And so here are three things, three things about their thoughtful giving. Firstly, their giving was thoughtful because they were genuinely concerned for Paul's well-being. And so it was more than a donation. They had genuine concern for him. In the Greco-Roman world, where Paul was writing from, genuine friendship is always practiced with friends, blessing one another, with gifts, not just on Christmas. And there's a sense of mutual giving and receiving of benefits in the Greco-Roman friendship. According to Gordon Fee, these benefits simply meant that friends could be counted on to help each other out, often at some degree of personal sacrifice by caring for family, or for, for example, coming to one's aid in time of need or crisis or embarking on activities that were of mutual benefit. And so can you think of people who has your back if something happens to you? Or on the home front? Who are the people whom you know can be counted on for help? Are there names that you can easily think of? In a recent Companions in Christ training, I had an opportunity to to also reflect on the precious friendships I've gained throughout my years in CIC. As I uh, conversed with them, many of us agreed that there are many true companions, true companions in this community who can be counted on. In fact, many of them have readily stepped forward to help whenever we call for help. At the same time, I also thought of my small group Many years ago, a few of us uh, went on a trip to Malaysia. My daughter fell ill and her fever was so high she vomited and had a fit. We were at our wit's end and could only rush her to the nearest hospital in Malaysia. Thankfully, we were traveling with some small group friends. And so as my wife and I, we were in the hospital, one of my friends babysitted my two young boys throughout the night while anxiously waiting for our updates. Another, friend, another family also adjusted their holiday plans to accommodate to the situation. Although I don't wish for this to happen again, this was a dear memory to me. This was a great memory. And I continue to be grateful for such friendships. Do you have such friends? The church in Philippi had originally lost contact with Paul for about two years 
after he was arrested and placed in prison. And so the advert, at last, in verse 10, likewise implies a hiatus in their giving. Because they had lost contact with one another. They, they wanted to give, but had been hampered from giving for a long time. And so this absence of contact hampers their ability to care and support each other. Therefore, their giving is a renewal of their friendship. In fact, Paul said they had revived, they had revived their concern for him. The word revived in verse 10 offers a picture of something that was dead. But now, coming back to life. And so this, this word pictures a tree or a plant that, that was barren in the winter. But when spring comes, the tree or plant now blossoms with new shoots and flowers. The Philippian Christians, they had been barren in expressing their concern for Paul. But now, with the gift of money they sent him, they were blossoming anew with concern for Paul's welfare. And so my friends, our giving has the power to renew and encourage our friendships. It shows genuine concern. The poet David White offers this insight in his, from his book, uh, Consolations. He says this, Giving means paying attention and creating imaginative contact with the one to whom we are giving. It is a form of attention itself, a way of acknowledging and giving thanks for lives other than our own. Unquote. But friends, because of COVID, many of us may have lost touch with this church family or have become less familiar about the latest ongoings in the life of our church. And perhaps you can begin to get to know the people who serve in Wesley, find out more about their ministry and how they even got started. Paul's appreciation of the way they shared their distress in the Paul's appreciation of the way they shared his distress in, in verse 14 indicates that their giving includes improving Paul's personal well-being. Perhaps for some of us, this Splash Weekend is God's invitation for you to revive your concern for one another and in our giving. Of course, our giving is not limited to the well-being of persons in full-time ministries such as Paul. The purpose of our giving should also be thoughtfully made to advance the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which leads me to the next point. Secondly, the Philippians' giving was thoughtful because this is their gospel commitment as partners. In Philippians chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, Paul had originally begun his letter with these words, I thank my God for every remembrance of you, always in every one of my prayers for all of you, praying with joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And now Paul is concluding his letter with these words in chapter 4, verse 15 to 16. You Philippians, Indeed, know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. And so their giving demonstrates their ongoing commitment to support Paul in the gospel. This verse in this line in verse 15. Right, this line, verse 15, no church shared with me 
can be read in two ways. There are two ways we can interpret this. One, the Philippian church appeared to be the only church supporting Paul financially. It appears as though no other church came to his aid. It is indeed um, indicated in the Corinthian and Philippian letters that the Philippian church was the only one that supported Paul financially in his first trip to the province of Achaia. However, it is also possible that there may be other churches that wanted and had supported Paul in the other stages, in the other stages of his missionary journeys. And so a possible second uh, interpretation, which was uh, supported by theologians such as Gordon Fee, uh, made, made was that Paul possibly had a unique, a, a, a unique relationship with the Philippian church, although we do not know why and neither have we read their Memorandum of Understanding, their MOU. We didn't read that, right? So it is clear that the Philippian church, in some way or another, had partnered in Paul's gospel mission. In fact, in verse 14, Paul praised them, saying, it was kind of you to share my distress. The Greek word for share suggests a deep partnership of two going in the same direction. And so Paul commended them because their gifts were an investment. This use of financial terminology is because giving is an investment in the work of God and in the future. And likewise in Wesley, we hope that each Wesleyan will partner with us by going together in the same direction. So, are you with us? Some nodding. Turn to your neighbors and ask, are you with me? Did they say yes? <laughs> well, Paul commended, Paul commended them because the geese were investment and we hope that you too, uh, you too will invest in working in the same direction together as a church family. Our pledge letter will give you an overview of our plans such as Wesley's partnership in Methodist Welfare Services in the new nursing home at UNOS. We will continue to invest in new digital technologies and equipping fellow Wesleyans with intentional discipleship tools. For example, the renovation of this PMP hall was just completed last December. Wow, it felt so long ago, but it was just completed last December. This renovation was made with the intention to expand our live streaming and online ministry engagement. And they are platforms for us as a church to reach out to a wider community, especially the digital community. And so the upgrades in this hall have made it possible for us to host hybrid events. For example, in March, we had a hybrid launch event called Reimagine Christianity in the Digital World. This was attended by more than 500 people, of which only 100 were on-site. Where are the other 400? They were not ghosts. But, but close to more than 500 attended or participated via live stream. This is 80% of the attendance, my friends, 80%. And this is possible because many of you partner with us in the gospel through your pledges and your giving. So thank you. Giving allows us to be involved in someone, someone's ministry. Not all of us can go on a mission trip. Not all of us can go on to become missionaries, but we can support them. And so my friends, your giving has the power to widen and deepen our ministry. We can become partners in, in the gospel through, through our giving. This too leads me to our second point, right? Our giving also helps us to take small steps in growing in Christ. 
The third reason why the Philippian ch- Philippians giving is thoughtful because their giving, their giving has contributed to their growth in Christ personally. Not every Christian grows. Do you know that? Not every Christian grows and not every Christian will keep walking with God. In fact, in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 to 20, Paul warns us, and I hope this is a warning for every one of us, whether in attendance or online. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 to 20, he says this, For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Wow, even Christians can become enemies of the cross of Christ. Let me continue. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears, their end is destruction. Their God is the belly, and their glory is in, is their, is in their shame. Their minds, their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3. And so my friends, these Christians who have chosen to fatten their wallets and bellies have brought much tears to Paul and his fellow partners in the gospel. I'm especially reminded of this scripture whenever it becomes too hard for me to part with my money. I know my belly has been growing, but I need to ask these words from scripture. But has my belly become my God? Has my mind shifted? Has my mind shifted to focus on earthly things? And this is why for Paul, the Philippians' financial giving expressed, it displayed, right? It displayed that they were a different kind of church. Their giving not only affirmed their the commitment to the gospel, but also demonstrated their growth in Christ. Let me now read Philippians chapter 4, verse 16 to 20. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God, was satisfied every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 17, Paul was quick to emphasize that he was not seeking the financial gift, but he sought to see Christians accumulating spiritual growth, not gift, but growth. And this is the heart of Paul's concern that our giving produces and maybe even displays fruitfulness in us. The Philippian church was not a wealthy church. In fact, they were quite poor. Despite their financial constraints, they were generous and sacrificial in their giving. And so my friends, our giving is a very practical aspect of our discipleship. This is a spiritual practice that has the power to grow our faith Our giving has the power to grow our faith and shape us in Christ-likeness. And so every time we open our wallets or our banking apps to give, we are choosing God over other pleasures. 
and we have surrendered to Him our comforts. As members of the church, you have received a letter and your pledge cards annually. Even if your, your letters and pledge cards have been misplaced, you can also pledge online um, through this link on the slide. In our Wesley Discipleship model, many of you have seen this logo. The letter S in the acronym COTS refer to sacrificial service. Our service is seldom convenient. It is frequently inconvenient, stretching us physically. Our service is frequently costly too. Our youths and adults save up to pay to go on mission trips. Our camp and retreat volunteers, they give sacrificially as well when they pay the full fee of the, of the cost of the event. They will forego their family holidays. They will use the money they saved and they, they work and save to volunteer instead. And so our sacrificial service involves sacrificial giving as well. A, a precious brother once asked me, does sacrificial service mean that we must have sacrificial giving? Think about this. What do you think? Does sacrificial service mean that we must have sacrificial giving. Well, my friends, our giving is an act of our love, right? Our giving is an act of our love. And so when we are reluctant to give, our love is reluctant as well. It is said that we can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. We cannot love without giving. Therefore, we cannot declare that we have loved sacrificially and served sacrificially if you're not able to give sacrificially. And this is why our giving is not limited to merely stretching us to bear fruit. Our sacrificial giving also shapes our relationship with God as well. Our giving is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Look at Jesus Jesus himself is a sacrificial giver. His love is demonstrated practically with the sacrificial giving of his life. And we could also imitate the example of the Philippian church and Jesus by committing to give. Like the Philippian church, many of us may have been hampered from giving for a while. And so this could be a divine opportunity for you to resume giving. Now that we have studied, studied the thoughtful giving of the Philippian church, how, how then do we grow our ability to give? Well, firstly, we can save for Christ. Yes, I'm talking about your money, right? We can save for Christ. When speaking about giving, Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, he says this, Now concerning the collection of the saints, now concerning the collection for the saints, you should follow the directions I gave to the churches of Galatia. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save whatever extra you earn so that collections need not be taken when I come. So here Paul instructs us to plan our finances with giving in mind. It is good to save for the future, but we need to save for Christ as well. We need to put money aside to save for the work of Christ. And you can also follow Paul's suggestions of, of putting aside money 
That's the first thing you do each time you receive your income so that it will be available when it is time to give to God. Secondly, we can grow our commitment, our ability to give by developing our sufficiency in Christ. And this is contentment. What is contentment? According to the Oxford Dictionary, contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. The Stoics, the, the Stoics have used this word to describe the phrase self-sufficiency. So for the Stoics, contentment is self-sufficiency. And this is a high virtue where someone is detached from outward circumstances and they have the personal resources to meet every situation. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, Paul also taught about contentment. He writes this, Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And so you, will, you might have noticed that Paul describes contentment slightly differently from the Stoics. How so? When studying Paul's letter, um, Professor Brian Tapp, he highlighted the differences for us. Christian contentment is not self-sufficiency, but Christ's sufficiency in any and every situation. And so Paul's secret to contentment is recognizing and relishing the sweetness, sufficiency, and strength of Christ even in the most unsavory situations, unquote. And so friends, have you tasted the sweetness, sufficiency, and strength of Christ lately? Circumstances no longer have the power to, to touch Paul because Paul was contented. Because of his dependence on the power of God, Paul had a divine stability that enabled him to rise above the daily economic fluctuations in his life. And this is why Christian contentment is a mark of Christian maturity, where the mature know, know how to depend on the Lord in every situation of his life, not, not only when they realize they need help. And since Paul confessed in verse 11 that he has learned to be contented, the good news for us is that we can also grow to be more contented every day. I understand that in this era of social media, whenever we mention the word content, our young persons are more inclined to think about content like TikTok videos and Instagram reels. Contrary to the idea of having more content, more videos to produce or consume, I hope we don't just focus on being a content creator. But we need to learn to be more contented each day. Paul has learned to live a life that is untethered to money or popularity. On the contrary, for many of us, our souls can be very tethered to our comforts and attachments. The American psychiatrist, Gerald May, he advises that we cling to things, people, 
beliefs and behaviors, not because we love them, but because we are terrified of losing them. The classical spiritual term for this compulsive condition is attachment. The word comes from old European roots, meaning stick or nailed to, like someone being stick on a cross or nailed to the cross. And so what attachments have you nailed on you today? What attachments do you have on that you do you have nailed on the cross that you carry today? Alright, if, if you are committed to carrying the cross like Jesus did, we need to identify what our attachments are. What attachments hinder me from giving? Perhaps they are they are the latest accessory for your hobby or the latest device that promises to improve performance and comfort. Every company seems to be moving from one-time purchases to encouraging us to commit to regular subscriptions such as Netflix or even the servicing of our air conditioning units. Perhaps it would also be good to consider if you need this particular subscription plan. Or can you opt for a simpler option? We need to have a right perspective of our relationship with this material world. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21, Paul directs us with these words. Can I have the next slide? Yes, thank you. But our citizenship is in heaven. It is, and it is from there that we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Philippians 3. And so my friends, if we want to redirect our worship from our bellies to God himself and to set our minds on heaven, we need to develop contentment in our lives. The purpose of learning contentment is so that we may humble our bodies so that it can be transformed for the glory of God. One of the things, one of the, one of the things that we can do today is to join us in the 40 days of prayer and fasting, which we are starting this weekend as a church family. And you can develop contentment by joining us to pray daily using the Love Singapore prayer guide and fasting weekly. Just as one of the trusts of the 40 days of prayer and fasting is to turn Singapore Godward. I'm hoping that through contentment, we may turn our lives, our bodies, and our community Godward as well. We need to reverse the moral decline in our personal lives and our society. So many of us have backslidden into being Christian atheists. Christians who live as though God does not exist. And so we need to recapture God's heart for us and the laws around us. Joe Truth, uh, a professor of Christian ethics, he tells of a primitive tribe Located deep in the South American jungle, anthropologists learned that the most important role within the tribe was the keeper of the flame. Fire is a precious commodity commodity, uh, to this tribe as it takes a lot of effort to recreate it. Therefore, one member of the tribe uh, is, is assigned the role as keeper of the flame. And he is entrusted with the responsibility of keeping the fire, the flame, alive. He keeps the fire alive whenever the tribe moves from one location to another. He carries it in some container to avoid having to recreate fire. 
And during the night, the flame keeper stays awake. He adds wood to the fire to keep it alive. His task is vital. Otherwise, all else goes dark. All else goes dark. Like your pastor, I constantly wonder, how is the church? Are we as a church keeping the flame alive? Or are we letting the flame die? How can we as a church fan the flame to burn brightly for Christ today? And so as you give financially to God's work, you are also becoming keepers to the flame. Today we are spreading the gospel message together. Together we enable our church, our missionaries, our partners to shine as God's light to the world. And so I, I hope you'll, con- you'll consider what it means to keep the flame for us as well. Come, let us pray. Abba Father, as we consider how we may save for Christ and master our sufficiency in Christ, teach us how to give sacrificially so that our giving may offer an acceptable sacrifice filled with genuine concern and commitment to your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.